You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Boston Loose Baseball Episode 29 coming your way. Danny's vacation continues. I'm hanging out with producer Darius will be chiming in. We're going to discuss C.J. Abrams getting called to the big leagues, the injury to Luis Garcia, Cade Cavalli shoving in AAA, and talk about some of the Nats' top prospects. All on this episode of Boston Loose Baseball. Let's get it going. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball. I'm Grant Paulson without Danny Ruye, who is on vacay. Producer Darris will be alongside. Looking forward, as always, to tapping into Darris's perspective, representing the fans here on Bustin' Loose Baseball. So there's a few things we can get into. Most notably, welcome to the big leagues, C.J. Abrams. It is happening. It is official. He is in the show. He is playing shortstop for the Washington Nationals. They call him up. He makes his debut with the team, his first game on Monday night, went 0 for 4 with one strikeout, left a couple runners on base. Remember, he had actually played in 40-plus games at the big league level with the Padres earlier this season. So, He got acquired in that Juan Soto deal, came to Washington, and after 125 major league at-bats for a contending team, the Nationals sent him down to AAA Rochester to get him acclimated to the organization at the 3A level before calling him up last night. I thought the highlight for Abrams was his dazzling defensive play at short, ranging to his glove side left, deep behind the second base bag. If you haven't seen the play, you got to go check out the video. He makes what was... A really difficult play look routine just to field the ball because he went a long way to get there. And then against and across his body, he made a really accurate throw to first base to get an out, again, deep behind the bag. And this is not to beat up on Luis Garcia, but it's just a play that over the last couple months, there was absolutely no chance any national shortstop was making that play. And and I would say that I'll say this Escobar would have had no chance probably since Trey Turner would have been the last time that that ground ball at that location with that defensive alignment, had a chance to be an out. And I don't know that it would be an out every single time with Trey, and maybe it won't be with Abrams. But he is 21. He's got really good athleticism and foot speed. He's a big guy at six foot two, uh, not particularly thick. He's about 185 or so pounds. And you know, maybe by the end of the season, who knows? Sometimes guys lose weight over the course of the year. Might even be a little bit less than that. But I got to tell you. I was just really, really excited that he got called up, guys, because I don't really know what the whole acclimating him to the organization in AAA thing means, if I'm being frank. They did this with Kbert Ruiz last year, remember, after he was acquired at the trade deadline in a deal with the Dodgers with Josiah Gray for Scherzer and Turner, and it was almost the same blueprint, right? This was the first time we saw it where he was a big league catcher, 
big league caliber in his case at that point. And they sent him down to the minor leagues to Rochester at that time to get a little work and to try to, again, I'll use this word that they use, acclimate to the organization. And while it's not a big deal and I don't take issue with it and I'm not annoyed by it, I just don't really get exactly what the acclimation process is because you think about it, it just adds one stop. Like You were playing at a minor league level if you're C.J. Abrams uh, in AAA or at the big league level in his case with the Padres. And so you're going to learn another team and another clubhouse and another way of doing things and you know that set of just basic stuff. Where where is the gum? Where is the sun? Are the sunflower seeds? Okay, how do we go over our reports and our scouting for pitchers at this level? And then you're going to learn all that again ten days later at the big league club. So it, to me, it complicates the process in terms of acclimation. But whatever, they're smarter than I am. They know what they're doing. So they sent him down, and he was in the minor leagues for the better part of a couple of weeks, and he hit 290 and had some success uh, at the minor league level. And so with the doubles and the production, they decided they were ready to call him up. Now, I don't know that he would have come up when he did this week if not for the Luis Garcia injury. And Luis Garcia being on the injured list is something we will cover in just a second because it's unfortunate because he is a guy that you need on the field and you want to try to get more at-bats and more reps down the stretch of this season because those are the types of things that matter. But specific to Abrams, I think fans are going to first notice that this is a, a spark plug and a catalyst type. This is a energizer bunny like there are just certain players based on their skill set who can bring some excitement and some exuberance and he is fast enough and athletic enough and toolsy enough that he can do that and they don't have enough players like that now you look at their team right now they basically have three dhs one of whom's playing first any given day another who's playing in right field joey manessis from a defensive standpoint is a is a big league dh better than anything else same with nelson cruz who is actually their dh and then the same with luke voigt and so you're not going to be a particularly good defensive team. They already weren't because Luis Garcia historically was having problems at a rate we haven't seen really before uh, early in his career at shortstop. Certainly in a long, long time, we haven't seen a shortstop struggle with some of the error counts and, and run prevention numbers going the wrong way that he had. And so this is a bad defensive team. But I think bringing up a guy like Abrams is going to help them in that regard a ton up the middle. This is part of why they wanted him in the deal. Mike Rizzo really cares about solidifying that up-the-middle portion of the ball club. And that's why Ruiz was a fixture with Josiah in the the Turner-Scherzer deal. And it's why now you bring in Abrams. And ultimately, I think you're going to have Robert Hassel or James Wood, but very likely Robert Hassel playing center field because they feel like that that is where they're building the strength of their team. Garcia, I think they view now as their second baseman of the future. And so they kind of feel like their building blocks offensively are all up-the-middle types, which I think speaks well to the scouting and bringing in a couple of guys who are athletes, which is what they want because they just have too many guys that clog the bases. Like if Manessis gets on and he's been doing a great job of that, obviously we'll talk more about him in a little bit, but he's not running and he's not going first to third and he's not really creating any havoc or wreaking any type of uh, issues with pitching staffs. Right. Same thing I would say to um, any kind of an on-base situation for Voight or Cruz You know, before that, this season, Bell, like they just haven't had guys who run. Lane Thomas is a decent little athlete, but the majority of their players, Mike Alfranco, uh, Cesar Hernandez, Alcides Escobar, even at this point of his career, who's always been kind of a twitchy speed guy, like they're not going to run a lot. They're not going to create any problems. So I think having Abrams could really, really help in that regard. Uh, Is he going to hit right away? 
I think he'll hit okay. He's going to be probably in the the low to mid 200s maybe the rest of this year. I would just remind people that it's really, really difficult for guys to thrive offensively when they are young and inexperienced and they're playing in a terrible lineup. And that's not a reason not to call him up at all. In fact, I'd say it's a reason to call him up because I think you benefit from that experience. But just look at Juan Soto this year as an example. While he was still really, really good and, and was getting on base and was an all-star and hitting his home runs and all the things that he was doing, you know, his batting average was way down, and he went through some real ruts this year where he was grounding out a lot and he was pressing. It gets really hard when you don't see pitches to hit and when you don't have a whole lot of protection and when you're one of the key cogs in a lineup. And that's for one of the, the great players in the league and probably the best hitter in baseball. Imagine now that you don't have a whole lot to fall back on. Imagine now that there's not a ton of experience for you, see Abrams, and that you're thrust into a lineup with a bunch of, of jags, basically, a bunch of what I call just the guys. It gets really difficult really fast. Now, I hope they put him at the top of the order sooner rather than later because I think it would really benefit him to be batting more often, number one, batting early in games uh, in that first inning as everything kind of gets started, but also generally your more professional ABs and your – uh, better chance of protecting him and having you know someone in the lineup that could do some damage behind him, whether that's right now Red Hot Joey Manessis or ultimately it's Luke Voigt who's homered a couple times since getting here, or even somehow if Nelson Cruz were to get hot after he hit the game-winning home run against the Cubs on Monday night. You, know, you want those guys kind of supporting behind him rather than him being in the bottom of the lineup, which was the case in his debut. And I think Davey did say when they called him up that they thought they were going to move him up in the order at some point. They just kind of wanted to get his feet wet. I don't necessarily just believe in the whole, oh, we're going to get his feet wet, like we just talked about with the the activating a guy from the minors after a couple weeks. Like, just jump into the pool, man. That's how you learn to swim. But Abrams, uh, seventh in the order with Lane Thomas hitting 231 behind him and then uh, uh, batting ninth and, and playing third in that lineup was Ildemaro Vargas, who has actually been okay. He's hitting about 260 for the Nats with a 785 OPS. Uh, excuse me, no, with a, with a 675 OPS. Uh, but having said that, I want to move up in the order eventually. But I'm going to be tracking him defensively. I think people will enjoy that, and I just want to see him try to put the barrel on the ball a few times. You know, we've talked about K. Barrett Ruiz, who had a two-home run game last week, and his lack of power. While at times this year he was hitting and he was you know, getting on base in an okay clip for a, a catcher, he just wasn't hitting for a lot of power. One of the big questions about Abrams in his career, big picture, is what type of power is this guy going to hit for? He's got two home runs and about 130 at-bats in the show this year. And if you look at his minor league track record, it's just not that extensive. He missed the 2020 season. He was drafted out of high school in 2019. And he basically played a little over 100 games of minor league baseball on his way to the show, one of the lowest totals you're going to see for a high school draft pick who's playing shortstop at the major league level. And the, the pandemic was a complicating factor obviously because he did some of his development not playing games but at the alt site. But for him to have played 47 major league games and only 114 minor league games right now is pretty crazy. And again, he's 21, so he is still developing. He's going to figure a lot of this out as he goes. But I look at, at this season where he played 30 games in the PCL with the Padres minor league team. And in those 30 games, in about 140 at-bats, he hit seven home runs. He had four doubles. He tripled. You're talking about a slug that was 500 in AAA. 
that'll get you where you want to go. I mean, that gives you a chance, I think, to, to drive the baseball and to hit for some power. So I'm excited by that. In his minor league career, in what is the equivalent of, you know, not even quite a full major league season, his batting average is 331. His on base is 385. His slug is over 500, and his OPS is 900. So he's been a tremendous minor league player offensively. Has not translated early in these 47 games in the big leagues, but I'm really not overly concerned about that. And I'm, I'm just frankly excited that he's here. You know, we on this podcast, it seems like every time we do this, put together little mini lists of why you guys should be watching or caring about the Nats or what there is for us. You know what I mean? As fans, you're paying to ticket prices. I'm going to the ballpark. We're turning on our TVs and watching Masson every night, or we're listening to Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler. Why are we doing this to ourselves? What do we get back? We're investing time and energy and money and effort. Give us something. Make it worth our while. And I think that promoting C.J. Abrams in some way uh, does that a little bit because it is a, a reason to care and a reason to watch. Um, all right, so let's talk about a couple of the other guys that I alluded to. First, Luis Garcia. So Garcia goes to the injured list, had a groin, and then you know something else in the lower body it sounded like. Uh, maybe some muscles, one based on the other, uh, problematic, and so they put him on the shelf. Uh, this is tough because, again, he's one of the shortlist guys that you really, really want to be watching at the major league level right now, especially because he was about to change positions. He was going from short, which we now know he can't play. Uh, that was glaringly obvious, to second. And he needs to work at second base. He needs to play every single day and just get better. Because he's going to boot some balls there, too, and he's going to throw some balls into the dugout, I'm sure. And there's going to be some mistakes and some errors and some issues. But he's got to play. He's got to be on the grass. So the injury's a little setback in that regard. Here's where I think we can feel pretty good about Garcia, who was still, by the way, until Abrams got promoted, who's now one of the youngest players in the major leagues. Luis Garcia, as of a week ago, was the eighth youngest player in the major leagues right now, which is funny to think about because he debuted two years ago in 2020, played in 40 games as a 20-year-old. Then he played in 2021 as a 21-year-old, and now he is playing this year as the eighth youngest player in the majors up until about a week ago. So I say all that to say, I think you can feel like there's a there's an actual building block in Garcia and a long-term answer and an organizational fixture to come at second base. We have seen the bat speed and the wrists and the hand strength and some of the things that this organization and the people that I talk to that help groom their prospects have raved about for a long time. He's hitting 290 and 228 at-bats. He's got four home runs, and I think there's going to be more power coming. You can see it with where... His home runs end up, you know, how often when he hits it, the ball kind of stays hit. His OPS is the highest that it's been in his three years in the big leagues at 718. His OPS plus is 106, who's so been above major league average offensively. And again, when you're doing this, I wouldn't even say holding his own. I'd say thriving because he's actually been pretty good offensively. But at worst, holding your own at the major league level as a 21-year-old. Now he's 22. He turned 22 in May. That's a really big deal, and it's a really good sign for the future. So the issue, I think, the knock on him was he can't play short. This is awful to watch. This is difficult. Why are we doing this? This is a charade. And he's not going to be playing short anymore. They have their shortstop. They have their answer. They didn't have a better option. You know, this guy needed to play, and they absolutely should have been playing him every day. 
And the best way to do that up until this week was shortstop. Now you've got Abram, so you can move him over. So I'm just pumped that now you've got your double play tandem set up, it would look like, from opening day on for next year. And hopefully Garcia, who's on the 10-day injured list, comes back and he gets a month or so of work would be really ideal with C.J. Abrams so they can start to come together and play some ball up the middle with one another uh, this season. But I would say you'd have to grade Luis Garcia offensively out this season as a B-plus or an A-minus. I mean, he absolutely terrorized AAA pitching. He was unbelievable this year at Rochester, forced their hand. They probably knew he wasn't ready to play short, but kind of made them call him up to the big leagues. 42 games and 175 at-bats. He was hitting 315 with a 900 OPS, eight bombs. I mean, really indicative of a guy who's going to drive the baseball at the major league level. And then we saw it a little bit. We saw doubles stung off the wall. Exit velocities were impressive. There's a lot to like, I think, for Luis Garcia moving forward here. The big question I have is going to be, what kind of defender does he end up being? At second, because he has had his problems at almost every position, major leagues and minor leagues to this point. And I'm a little bit concerned about, you know, whether or not he ends up being an average, above average, you know, defensive player. But as long as he's not a a problem at second base, I think you're much more inclined to play a guy there who might struggle from time to time defensively than at shortstop where it's just kind of unforgivable and you can't have it. Like You can't be the worst defensive player in the league at shortstop, and I could be a good team. It doesn't work that way. But if you look at his maximum exit velocity this year, 92nd percentile, there's a starter kit here that I like for Luis Garcia. I mentioned Joey Manessis. So let me give you a quick thought on Manessis. He broke the Nats' record this week for hits in his first 10 games with the organization. He had 14 hits over his first 10 games. He then had his 15th hit in game number 11. He went one for four. Uh, hitting second in the lineup, playing right and finishing in first on Monday against Chicago in the win. So he's now hitting 385 with an 1198 OPS. What a story this is. I am of the belief that Joey Manessis is right now experiencing the peak of his career. Like this is as good as it's going to get. But that's okay. What do we need right now as Nats fans? We need stories, right? We need something to get us to the finish line. We're looking for. As I like to say, reasons to stay tuned. He is giving us that. This has been a blast. He's 30 years old. He's been waiting his entire career for this. And now he's got 39 at-bats under his belt. And he's hitting 385 with five home runs. And he's broken a record for offensive players with the Nationals for hits in his first several games. Like, you can't write this script. This is just awesome. This guy's been toiling in the minor leagues since 2012 in the GCL. He was in the Dominican Summer League, in fact. In 2011, played his first 19 pro games. I mean, that's a, over a decade ago. Riding buses in and out of pro ball in the States because he left it to go play internationally at the highest levels. and You know at different times he thought about giving up. And now he is the main attraction, right? This moment, this second at Nationals Park, right? I mean, is it, I don't know, maybe that's sad. And it changed probably when they called up Abrams. But you go to a game right now when Joey Manessis bats, that's the guy you want to be in your seat for. Not because he matters long-term or because if he homers, it's it's big for 23 or 24, but because that's the story. Is he really going to do this again? And speaking of 2023 and 2024, depending on what they do this offseason, there is absolutely a chance he could be on this roster. I liken him to Yadiel Hernandez, 
Yadiel Hernandez had had some success as well. I think he had played professionally in Cuba, whereas Manessis in Mexico. But Yadiel Hernandez was a guy who led the International League in home runs with 33 at one point for the Nationals and didn't really get his shot and eventually came to the big leagues and proved he could have some good at-bats and he could hit a little bit. Not a particularly good defensive player. They put him out in left and kind of hope he gets to some baseballs, but he's his best position is in the batter's box. I think of Manessis the same way, and you look at Yachty, who's still not only in the organization, but playing. I mean, he's a regular. He's a middle-of-the-order regular uh, for Davey Martinez at this point. Uh, so I think there's a real good chance that if they don't spend this offseason, and depending on when the new owners get here, now, we'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead, but I think there's a real possibility they're going to look around at the landscape and say, well, we're not that close anyway. We're not going to spend big and bring in a, a bunch of new talent. That maybe a guy like Joey Manessis does get an opportunity next year. I guess that depends on if they move Luke Voigt this offseason or if he's still here. Because, again, those guys are fairly redundant. I think they're both DH types. I'd rather Manessis play uh, designated hitter and, and not play in the field than stand out and right. Because what they've got to do this offseason, I think, is twofold. Number one, you're, you're going to have to add a little bit of talent and spend a little bit of money because you can't ask people to keep buying tickets and you can't ask people to keep watching and listening uh, and be this bad. You know, it's okay to be bad when you're rebuilding, but you can't be as bad as they've been. You don't want to be the worst team in baseball. You don't want to do what the Orioles did the last five years where you've got a couple thousand fans in the ballpark at a time because you know it's just not a major league product. So I think if you're a new owner especially, you're not going to come in here when you're trying to introduce yourself to a city and indoctrinate yourself to a fan base and just sit on your hands and do absolutely nothing. So I think the first thing you probably have to do is you know, spend a little bit of money to add a couple of major league players. They don't have to be great major league players. But the second thing I really want to see them do is just upgrade this defense. The best way to improve your pitching staff and one of the cheapest ways, in my opinion, to upgrade your ball club is to get good defensive players. Now, you pay a premium for home runs at this point. You pay a premium for runs batted in. You're going to play a, uh, pay a lot of money for a guy in the front of a rotation who generates strikeouts and bunches and has swing and miss stuff. It does not cost that much to get good defensive players on the market who might not hit a ton, but who are going to field the baseball. And they just got to get to a point where when there's a ground ball hit, it's an out. When there's a fly ball hit that should be caught, it ends up in a glove. And too often this season, that just has not been the case. And it's it's not a shocker, right? I mean, at first base right now, you're playing a DH. And in right field, you're playing a DH. And there were times this year where your shortstop wasn't a shortstop. That changes, as we've talked about with Abrams. In left field, when you got Yadi Hernandez out there, that that's not pretty. Uh, obviously, Lane Thomas does a little bit of a better job. Robles is tremendous in center when he's out there uh, for the most part. So that's been one area where I would imagine the defensive metrics are, are decent to them. But he doesn't play every day as it is. You've got a young catcher coming along who's awesome at throwing guys out behind the plate. Um, but Michael Franco, a lot of time at third base, probably a below-average defensive third baseman. Uh, so it's it's not a shocker. Like You can look at the team, look at the defensive grades, look at the expectations – and see how we got here with what they are defensively. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like 
feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Bang, zoom. All right, let's dive into Cade Cavalli's last start in AAA. Cavalli pitched on Saturday at AAA Rochester, and in his start, he went seven innings allowing three hits and one run while striking out 11 and allowing two walks. Arguably his best start of the season, seven innings and double-digit strikeouts, a Scherzerian line. But if you go back and look for the last time he gave up more than two runs, it was June 29th, and that was a three-run outing. Beyond that, I mean, you're looking for more than three runs in a start because three runs can be done in a quality start over six innings. He's given up more than three runs in a start once since May 17th. And yet, he continues to toil in the minor leagues. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about the Cavalli situation if he's not called up next week. Or I should say in our next podcast later this week. Uh, because there's so much made online about his service time. And there's just a lot of people who say a lot of things that I don't think are completely correct. What is correct is that if he is called up at this point and you potentially burn his Rookie of the Year status for next year, you could potentially miss out on getting draft pick compensation if he thrives at the major league level and is a Rookie of the Year finalist next season. Now, I would like to point out that it is unlikely that a starting pitcher would be a Rookie of the Year finalist unless they're just nails, which is rare. I would also tell you that pitching on a team that's not particularly good, which the Nationals aren't expected to be next year, It is really, really difficult to imagine you winning enough games, a dumb stat, but a stat that writers care about, and pitching well enough. See, Josiah Gray going through growing pains and a lot of other good young starters on bad teams. The likeliness that that's even a factor is minuscule. It shouldn't be part of their conversation or considerations. But if you see people saying that Josiah Gray being, excuse me, uh, Kate Cavalli being called up now to join Josiah Gray in the rest of the rotation, that they would lose a year of eligibility or becomes a free agent a year sooner. That's just not correct from my understanding. I mean, I talked to someone directly with the organization. I have also talked to people, not on his agent's seaside, but on the agent side of the equation in baseball to confirm that I was right about this. And I have been told that if you call him up now, he would not lose this year. Super 2 status is a thing, obviously. Uh, Super 2 status Based on when a player gets promoted, you often see that teams will keep guys down at the beginning of the season. You know, for a long time, there was a date projection, like in late May. The idea being, 
I think it used to be you have to be in the top 18% of players in service time that year, and I think it's expanded now to 22% of players in terms of service time on the rookie class that year, and then you are granted basically a year closer to free agency, and you're, you're granted what is called Super 2 status. And I'll get an adult on who can explain this better who's smarter than me, but this is just based on the conversations and texts and calls I, I've made to people. And, and the idea being they are in the clear right now on Cade Cavalli in terms of that issue. Now, is there something to be said for every day you're in the major leagues is a day of service time, and so the longer you wait, theoretically, the fewer days of service time he has? Well, yeah, I guess mathematically that makes some sense, but that's not traditionally really how this has worked in the past. I would also say there's a very real conversation to be had, even beyond the point that you're not losing a year of Cade Cavalli, now calling him up in mid-August, that I don't know that that's the best way to do your business as it is. Like, that can have ramifications as well. Kate Cavalli has now made 25 starts in AAA. 25. That is the equivalent of almost a full major league season's worth of outings at the AAA level, riding buses, waiting every week for his call, thinking at any moment, every time his phone rings, it could be the Nationals calling him up. And yet it never has been. And he keeps watching Paolo Espino and Anibal Sanchez and Josh Rogers and uh, Rasmo Ramirez and all these other dudes make starts at the major league level. And I just can't imagine that's good for business. Now, I would also tell you these people that will say, well, he's not ready yet. A, you're never ready. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And B, sure he is. He would be the second best pitcher at worst in their rotation right now. Does he occasionally walk too many guys? Yes. Does he occasionally throw too many balls and struggle with control and command? Yes, he does. Is he the first young pitcher who would be called up and have to fight through that and learn at the big league level and develop? Absolutely. Not. That happens all the time. It's a regular thing. He's throwing upper 90s with wipeout stuff, and he's going seven innings and punching out 11 in AAA. Look at Yoan Adone as an example, who was in the big leagues, who's not big league ready, who was not nearly as ready as Cade Cavalli is, okay? I don't care what anybody says, who had a 7-plus ERA or whatever and has gone down to AAA. He can't dream of having a 7-inning, 3-hit, 11-strikeout outing. Now, you could say Yoan Adone isn't as important as Cade Cavalli to the Nats, and you're right, but he is important. That's an arm that could be an arm for them for many, many years to come. So sometimes we care about readiness and sometimes we don't. Also, he's ready. And I don't even want to acknowledge the idea that he's not because it it is a straw man kind of discussion that people like to have where if he doesn't have a great start in AAA, see, I told you, he comes up to the big leagues and he goes five innings and he gives up five runs and he walks five. See, he needed more time in the minors. And that's just not a thing. C.J. Abrams gets called up, goes 0 for 4 with a strikeout. See, they should have kept him down. No, that's not how this works. Juan Soto goes 0 for 4 sometimes. Josiah Gray gets rocked occasionally. Patrick Corbin gets knocked around every time he pitches. It doesn't mean they're not major league ready. Now, Corbin's a bad example because he probably is not at this point major league ready. But the point of the dude's story is there is a threshold, a bar to be cleared in terms of uh, being able to control the ball enough and throw it over the plate, ideally command the ball to have a lot of success, which young pitchers are always working on. And if you get over a bar where you're able to compete at the major league level, I think there's a very real conversation about allowing guys 
to finalize their development. You, you should always be developing. You're going to continue to develop at the major league level. And and the last thing I'll, I'll say that is frustrating to me is I hear people saying, well, the Nats say dot, 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 or the Nats are saying this. And I really, really like a lot of the people that make important decisions for the Nationals. Mike Rizzo on down. Player development staff, I think, is uh, underrated, to be completely honest with you. And, and I trust in some of those folks. But I would tell you a couple things. Just because someone's not in the big leagues does not mean that every person on those staffs doesn't think they should be. Doesn't even mean that the most powerful and influential voices on those staffs do not mean that they should be. So we shouldn't just take the result, which is that he hasn't been called to the major leagues, and say, well, clearly all the Nationals people think he's not ready. I don't buy that. There's enough dissenting opinions normally in rooms and in boardrooms about important players that I have to imagine that there's probably some conflicting conversations because there isn't much of a precedent for a guy of his caliber drafted where he was spending 25 starts in AAA. And if they would have slow played it more before they got him to AAA, okay, fine. Like, you don't bump him from A-plus to the big leagues. But they basically, it was like sprinting through the airport to sit on the plane for a long, long time. He got to AAA last season. He should have gotten a cup of coffee in the big leagues in a controllable environment, in my opinion, pitching out of the bullpen for an inning or two as a courtesy in September when rosters expand. He should have been given that kudos, well done, we're proud of you, here's your couple of big league innings, and oh, by the way, hang out around major league relievers and benefit from being around Tyler Clippard and these guys who have been in the majors for years and enjoy our travel and eat a nice steak on the flight. This is what a big league clubhouse is like. Because that helps in development. It also it teases you a little bit. It makes you hungrier going into the offseason. It makes you work harder so you can get there faster so you're not hanging out in hotels in Rochester, New York. But they didn't do that. Fine. No problem. So now here we are, and it's August 16th. And if you had a rotation that was filled with guys who can get outs at the major league level and should be in the big leagues, I would care a little bit less because they're a terrible team. They're not going anywhere. And you could just keep him in the minor leagues, I suppose. But on the same night where he lowered his ERA to 1.4 over 31 innings, Anibal Sanchez lowered his ERA to 7.20 this season. Sorry about it, man. I'm not even going to go the route of, hey, the fans deserve to see him or, you know, they're paying good money, so take care of your fan base. I don't really believe in running your team that way at all. I believe in adults making adult decisions, you know, grownups being grownups and Rizzo and his crew know better than anybody else when Cavalli is worthy of being called to the big leagues. But I also think that this organization has been too conservative at times with how they've moved players along. And I've kind of made that known, and it's just a disagreement. It doesn't mean I, I, I don't believe in or trust their process necessarily or think that they're bad. It's just a philosophical disagreement. The Phillies just bumped up a teenage pitcher named Andrew Painter to double-A. He started this year in low-A. He was nails. He got an aggressive bump to A+. He's been nasty. And at 19 years old, he's now in double-A. I don't think the Nationals in a million years would do that. I don't think they would. Now, it's not like the Phillies have been incredible at developing arms either. I think it's Spencer Howard and some other guys that haven't panned out for them. They did a good job with Aaron Nola, obviously. But... I can't just sit here with a team that has not hit on enough of these arms and say, well, let's just let's just wait. Let's give the benefit of the doubt that Cade Cavalli really is just going to pe- keep pitching at AAA and get better and better. No, 
There's there's nothing that could happen to him in the big leagues, in my opinion, that would lead to him crawling into the fetal position and never being the same again. I don't believe in that. He got tattooed, remember, in that minor league start at the end of uh, spring training when supposedly he was, like, on the verge of maybe making the rotation out of camp, and they went with a dome. But he gave up, I think, I don't remember, it was, like, 12 runs or something in a few innings. He just got absolutely obliterated by the Cardinals. Weirdly, he woke up a couple days in a row after that. You know what I mean? Weirdly, he put his pants on, and he, he somehow kept playing baseball. It's okay. It happens sometimes. So... Anyway, we'll go deeper into what I really want to have on the next podcast is someone who's an expert on like ARB stuff and on controllability so that we could talk about the specifics of Cavalli's situation because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there uh, about what would happen and how it would work if he got called up. Um, but we'll, we'll get some insight on that because I like to try to be cognizant of, of not knowing what I don't know and try to talk to someone who's an expert who's smarter than me. Um, but, you know, whether or not that's even something we should be talking about is its own discussion. Because, again, we're watching a rotation every time through where the Nats skipped Patrick Corbin because he'd been so ineffective. So that over a three-game series, by skipping him, you know, their pitchers were a combined 0-13 or something like that. And I don't really care about pitcher win-loss, but it kind of accentuates the point for me a little bit. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. See you later. All right, I mentioned Gray a couple times, so let's kind of end the conversation with him today. I'm going to bring in producer Darius. So, Darius, you saw something you really liked in Monday night's game. Josiah Gray, for the second time in as many starts, was pretty good. Six innings, three runs, quality outing. Struck out 10, had some swing and miss, overpowering stuff. Last time he pitched against the Cubs, he got into the seventh, and he only struck out five. He wasn't, I didn't think, quite as dominant in that start as he was at Nats Park where he struck out the 10, had the one rough first inning. He was nails after that. But that was not what caught your attention. No, what caught my attention was that Davey came out to the mound. He had just hit uh, right around 100 pitches. It might have been right at 100 pitches. Uh, Davey came out to the mound, and it looked as if either Davey convinced JoJo that he could do it 
or Jojo convinced Davey that he could do it because Davey left the crowd, <laughs> left him on the mound. The crowd got fired up because they knew what it meant. They knew that it meant he was going to try to finish the inning. And he strikes out, uh, I believe it was Patrick Wisdom, struck him out, and he was fired up. And so was the crowd. I thought it was an awesome moment. I love seeing stuff like that. I love it. It was like when we would get that all the time with Max, where David would come out to the mountains like, I'm going to pull you, Max. And Max is like, no, you're not pulling me. That resem- that moment resembled a Max moment. And I think that was great for Josiah Gray's confidence. And I think it's great for the confidence of the fans in Josiah Gray seeing that kind of moment. I just think it was, I'm, first of all, I'm 100% with you. I love that kind of stuff. That's the romanticism of baseball, right? Billy Bean and, and Moneyball saying, how can you not be romantic about baseball? I love that Josiah is a badass and has that gear, too, where he's going to get pumped up and say, I'm going to finish what I started here. Let me empty the tank. But it also just showed some growth. Like, it showed a graduation of sorts. There was, like, Josiah has gone through baseball puberty or whatever. He's a man now. (laughs) Davey goes out there. And, right, you, you said it well. Like, whoever was talking to who and whoever lobbied, who knows? But. Before that, we haven't seen that. And I, how many times has he been really good through five innings or six innings at 80-some pitches as the year's gone on and they've said, nah, not this time? And there are for every one of those, you you save some bullets for a night like tonight, later in the season ideally, where you're, you're going to let him push through. And everyone goes so overboard and is so crazy about protecting arms now and, and even listening to this, people go, oh, get him out of the game, whatever. But at some point, you've got to learn how to do that. It's not just something that you can touch a button in three years when you're in a big start trying to make the playoffs or something. You can just figure that out. And so that was, I thought, a real stepping stone developmental point for him. He got to 105 pitches, but where, okay, I don't have my best stuff from the beginning of the start anymore, but I got to find a way to do this. I got to, for lack of a better phrase, sack up and figure this out. And Davey let him, which he hasn't really all year long. I loved it. And I, I, if I remember correctly, last week we were recording an episode while he was pitching uh, against the Cubs. Yep. And I remember you saying that, that, that exact thing. You were like, I wish Davey would have just left him out there. I yeah, wish he would have totally. left him out there to finish the seventh. It didn't make any sense for him to pull him at that point. He wasn't, I don't think he was at the 100 pitch mark or anything at that point. So, you know, we got our moment where Josiah Gray finished out in the inning and was fired up after it. I love every second of it. I'm all for it, man. That's good stuff. Uh, all right, what a uh, big picture fan stuff this week. How do you feel? What do you think of Abrams getting called up? Where are you at? Uh, I'm excited about Abrams getting called up. I definitely hope he's able to to show off some of that speed eventually. Like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm definitely disappointed that he wasn't batting first, batting second, you know, somewhere in the upper part of the order. But if that time is coming, I'm, you know, if there's a plan for it, I'll believe in this organization and allow them to, to let that plan develop. But uh, excited, excited that we have somebody who's going to make spectacular plays at shortstop again. You know, we, we were spoiled. And routine ones. Routine, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be nice, too. <laughs> routine ones would be nice. But we've been we've been kind of spoiled at shortstop, I would say, over the years. You know, Ian Desmond was pretty solid uh, defensively at shortstop. Trey Turner was pretty solid defensively at shortstop. I think we're getting a defender that could be possibly better than both of those guys combined at this point. And that should be very exciting to see uh, for a long time to come, hopefully. Yeah, I'm excited for Abrams, and it just feels good to be excited about someone with the Nats right yes, now. absolutely. Because uh, it's been a little while <laughs> this season. And especially with the lack of speed on this team. If he can, uh, I know he hasn't been a terror on the base pass so far yet in his major league career, but if he can be and show off those tools, I think that I think that's all something to be very extremely excited about. 
Well, and I also think in the years ahead, you're going to see more steals in general. They want to re-implement that part of the game in a big way. We've seen it in the minor leagues. The numbers are insane. And it's because pitchers can really only check over twice. The, the rule is if you throw over a third time and you don't get the runner that you're trying to pick off, they automatically get a steal in second base. Well, what that's turned into is basically I only throw over twice. So if someone checks on you two times, you basically have free reign to get your biggest lead possible, and you're just taking off. So that has upped the numbers in the minor leagues. Remember, they're, they're, the pitch clock, I think, has been a huge deal in terms of stealing bases because you can time things up and you know when that clock's winding down. That's been a big deal uh, from what some guys have told me in the minor leagues. And then also, I think there's just something to, you know, they're trying to make the bases a little bigger. Like It's funny and stupid as it sounds. Like every little inch helps, you know, in terms of these bang-bang plays. Oh, definitely, so yeah. I think all those things, if they come to the big leagues in the, the few years ahead, could lead to guys like Abrams even being more valuable than uh, possibly he has been so far on the base paths. Yeah, and it's it's been awesome tracking some of these minor leaguers. This is such a fun time right now, uh, despite what's going on at the major league level. Even though we are again, we are getting C.J. Abrams now, uh, but sounds like Robert Hassel's getting called up from Single A Wilmington. He's now going to Double A Harrisburg. Uh, James Wood has just been killing it so far at Fredericksburg. I have to get down there to Fredericksburg, by the way, to go see him because he sounds like he's must see television. So. Yeah, it's a fun time. I'm really enjoying where we're at at this point in the rebuild. Kylie McDaniel, who we recently had on this podcast, just came out with his updated top 50 prospects in the game. He had James Wood 13th, C.J. Abrams 14th, because Abrams wow. hasn't graduated from how he does it, and Robert Hassel 16th. So he's he has three Nats in the top 16. And, yeah, I had Hassel on my prospect show, Minors and Majors, on MLB Network Radio this week. I had a great conversation with him. He's very confident. It just seems like he's really comfortable in his own skin. He did admit it took him a couple days to kind of get his bearings down and to get comfortable. And remember, he was like 0 for his first, I think, 13 or 14. Rough start. <laughs> uh, it was not great. But and he kind of admitted, even though he didn't expect it to, it felt a little bit different. He said after a game or two, it was just baseball again. But a couple things he said that were interesting to me. He talked about his weight. He said, I'm 185 pounds. He said, I think I'm going to add probably close to 15 more pounds. He said, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm going to end up boosting my slug and hitting more home runs, oh. which has been a big question. You know, and I think there's some questions maybe about his swing in addition to his size as far as home runs go. But he also admitted this to me. We were just talking about stolen bases. So he's 23 of 26 in steals this year. And he says he has not been nearly as aggressive as he wants to be, and that's his biggest regret of the season. He said he's often just kind of stealing when he's confident rather than being aggressive and kind of pushing the envelope. And he said there's no doubt in his mind he could have 40 steals right now if he was as aggressive as he should be. And he thinks he could be a 40-steal type player. Hassel told me that this week. I, th- I found that really, really interesting. I love that. I love that he knows his game. That is awesome to hear. Um, it, was it, what's his nickname? Isn't it Bobby Barrels? Bobby Barrels, oh, man. man. Well, if he adds on some more muscle, <laughs> they might have to upgrade that nickname. Totally. And we'll take our minor league deep dive. Uh, into some of these guys later in the week, as we always do here on Bustin' Loose Baseball. For producer Darius, I'm Grant saying so long. Thanks so much for listening. This is episode 29 in the books. We're back later this week. Generally, we tape on Thursday, so come on back on Thursday night and look for BLB.